From technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution, a culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and delivering the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. I'm being joined today by Edward O'Connor, the subject matter expert at Mantech Health. Well, Edward, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dive right in. When you talk about digital and virtual clinical research, can you unpack that? What does that really mean? That's a good question because it can mean a lot. Um, even the word research can mean a lot. Clinical research can mean a lot. Uh, digital and virtual. Again, these aren't fixed terms. So depending on the organizations you're talking about, they might have different definitions. And even the same organization might change those definitions going from place to place. So for example, we might have what's called a sightless clinical trial that's looking at, you know, specific treatments uh, for a condition. In that case, we might, you know, really lean into patients' home, uh, maybe doing that with people, like literally with field workers. Or maybe with mobile health applications or telehealth visits or wearables. Um, so that would be kind of a traditional treatment focused research project. Um, on the flip side, you know, we could have a virtual project where we're re- researching a vaccine and you just have lots of different teams spread across the United States or the whole world that are collaborating virtually to a, a center, uh, center collaboration system. So. You know, you kind of hit upon something that's very important. The first thing in these projects you need to do to succeed is nail down the definitions. You know, what do we mean by research? What are our goals? What's digital? What's virtual? What's sightless? What's not? Because there's there's always going to be a human component. The question is just where it's located and how it works. Okay, so let's talk about the who a little bit more. What kind of organizations are involved in the research projects that you're seeing? And is that changing over time? Yeah, so it it is changing a lot. I'll kind of do that one backwards. Um, you know, one of the things we saw, particularly with COVID-19 research, is new technologies really let us speed up how quickly we can get from point A to point B on research. We can involve a lot more organizations. Um, so the types of folks involved in this can be everywhere from uh, commercial pharmaceutical companies to academic or nonprofit profit research teams to military research teams. Um, and one of the things things to look at when all those groups are involved and they're moving more quickly than they're used to is to really look at their different organizational cultures and goals. You know, you may have uh, an agency inside the DOD working with a very large academic university. Um, they come from very different places. You know, the military entity might be very concerned about the security of data and the integrity of data, might have specific concerns about uh, different foreign countries and bad actors. Whereas the university, you know, half of those, uh, half of the people from that uh, supposed competitive state might be their grad assistants. So sometimes you've got to resolve just some basic uh, thinking and culture clashes on Um, security and collaboration and how it's going to work and just make sure all the entities are comfortable. You know, the same with commercial entities. They'll come in. Their number one concern might be intellectual property, and that will often clash with an academic institution that's more about just moving the ball forward, Uh, though sometimes not. 
it depends on what organization we're talking about. Okay, so collaboration is clearly a big challenge, but also a huge opportunity to move the ball. Tell me more about security and interoperability for these projects. Yeah, so a lot of this hasn't changed. So in healthcare or clinical research, we've had challenges with security, privacy, um, and what we call data interoperability from the beginning. Um, so we'll kind of work through those backwards. Data interoperability is just how do we get these systems to talk to each other? So if you've got two hospitals, for instance, collaborating on a project, they may use uh, different electronic me- medical record systems, um, or they may even use the same uh, vendor for their record systems, but they configured them in a different way. So even though it's kind of the same language, it's a different dialect, and those systems don't necessarily talk to each other very easily. Um, now, once you expand out and you start to involve pharmaceutical organizations, academics um, and universities, um, nonprofit research entities, hospitals, clinics, um, government entities like the VA, um, they're all speaking either slightly different languages or in some cases just completely different languages. So we have to spend a lot of time mapping those languages to each other and making sure those systems talk. Um, and then that brings us back to security and privacy, um, making sure those systems are talking in a way that's secure and only giving just the right amount of data to each participant is key. Um, and these, these three areas all interlock, meaning a small problem with data interoperability can create a really big problem with security or privacy. Um, as you would imagine, if you and I were talking in two different languages, um, we need an interpreter. And keeping anything secret becomes much more difficult with an interpreter. Um, making sure everything's exactly what I meant to say is much more difficult with an interpreter. Um, it's hard enough just for two people to talk. But if you could imagine if there were dozens of interpreters in the mix, um, it would get slow. It would get less secure. Um, and we'd start running into privacy issues. Um, so this has changed now. These projects, as they're going faster, we're involving lots and lots of new entities. These entities have different ways of going about research and just project management. Um, so it's we're putting a lot of fuel on what was already a bit of a fire. Um, but, of course, it's worth it. We can do these cross-disciplinary projects. Uh, they can really be game-changing and life-saving. So it's worth the effort. But it's very challenging. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so... What do you see that's unique on these programs at Mantech? Is there something you folks are particularly good at or conversely, anything you're not so great at and try to avoid? Yeah, I mean, I think no no organization, whether you're um, an academic organization or a contractor like us or a military organization, is great at everything. You know, we try to be solid at everything and then really good at one or two things. Um, for Mantech, you know, we were born... Uh, around 50 years ago in support of military projects. And I think even as we've gotten, become a much bigger company and spread across just about every federal agency, we still kind of think from our roots. Um, so we're very focused on what is the actual strategic or operational mission. Um, so even on low level projects, you know, if we're doing IT support for an organization, Culturally, we're all, we're always questioning everything. We're thinking about security. We're thinking about the why of the project. Um, and then our, I think the other way we're set apart from most is we're really committed to, 
uh, context. You know, uh, we employ around 50% of our company are military veterans. Um, and we do that for a bunch of reasons. One is just, uh, respect out of the service, um, and what they put into to our country. But the other is those folks come in with a deep contextual awareness of what's going on. Um, now for me, I, I didn't come from the military. I came from really commercial health care. And, but that's because I, I service, uh, government entities that are more on that side of the fence, um, whether it be CMS or VA or CDC. Um, so I come in with a different kind of contextual awareness, uh, but we look for that from every person. Um, and then in terms of what we're, you know, really good at, um, we recognize we're good at that contextual awareness and mission focused. And so a lot of times for the rest, we really focus on bringing in exceptionally good partners. Um, you know, we try to bring in people that are the highest end partners in academic research or big pharma. Uh, we're partnered with folks, um, like Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, uh, John Hopkins, um, a big mix of small and, and really big research entities, uh, that are really deep in bioinformatics or biostatistics. Um, so we really focus on bringing people that are better than us. Um, in niche areas and then figuring out how to mix them together. So that's kind of to go back to my first answer. Uh, there's a lot of culture clashes or mental model clashes when different companies work together, particularly if they're specialists. And so you, you really want to work out those concerns and work up a team that knows how to work together before you throw them right into the deep end and make them work together. Okay, great. Is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, um, we kind of circle back maybe to the, the technology a little bit. Okay. Um, talk, talk about just these IT projects. One of the things for clinical research projects or any kind of healthcare research project, whether it be public health or researching a treatment, which are kind of the two extremes. Um, one of the things that a lot of people that are just IT folks don't realize when they go into health IT and then again, don't realize when they go from health IT into clinical research is that the actual systems change. Um, and this makes sense if you step back. If you switched from healthcare into finance, you would expect the software systems to change. But I think when you've been involved in healthcare, you assume these operational healthcare systems, like the system a hospital uses, might look similar to what uh, a research entity uses, which might look similar to what maybe the VA uses for public health analysis. Um, and the truth is they're not at all the same. Um, there's a different set of vendors that stand up those systems. Um, knowing one doesn't really help you know the other. Um, I guess it's better than if you came from a completely different sector. Um, but they change a lot. They're very proprietary. Um, so one of the, the old jokes we have is if You've been in one healthcare entity. You've been in one healthcare entity. You know their systems. You know how their technology talks uh, together. Um, and a lot of times that's with a lot of homegrown um, integration code or gluing code uh, that you have to figure out each time you change an organization. Um, so that's one of the things we focus on is just when we start a new program, um, we kind of stop and recognize we try to know what we don't know. Um, and oftentimes that's in the, the systems integration, how these systems are connected, stop for a little while, document, 
uh, those systems. It can usually save a lot of time uh, downstream. Um, it can also stop you from making really big mistakes related to security or privacy. Great. Well, Edward O'Connor, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for listening. For more episodes, visit www.fedhealthit.com and click the Listen to Fed Health IT for this and the rest of our shows. Or check us out on your favorite podcasting platform.